Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today we are talking kind of more generally about the topic of mental health as it relates to major life transition. Lexi actually has a friend named Lisa Hasselman who went from attorney to flower farmer, which, as you might imagine, is quite a big difference in terms of lifestyle. And we have her on the podcast today talking a little bit about her personal transition, but also just so much about what it means for her to be connected to farming in this new season of her life. Uh, Lisa Hasselman is the farmer and owner at Forest Garden Farm on Vashon Island in Washington. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Hi. Thanks, Carter. It's great to be here. It's so great to have you. I want to know a little bit about what the major life transition is that you have made. I feel like I went through a number of transitions at one time, but the, I guess the big ones were I changed my career drastically mm-hmm. from an attorney to a farmer. Shortly after that, I became a mother, and during that, I gave up a lot of things that I think were making me unwell, like a lot of stress, cigarette smoking, and drinking, and so I'm kind of, I made a big life change at about 40. What led you first into becoming an attorney, and then what moved you away from that? I think it was just, I wanted to, I was ambitious, I wanted to succeed in life, and I wanted to do something useful for my community. And that just led me on a path to being a lawyer. I never was in a position. I've definitely met lawyers who loved the practice of law, loved the research and the intellectual challenges of it. And although I told myself that I did, often trying to tell that story and why am I here, why am I a lawyer, I find it really a moving and important practice, but I never quite felt at home with it. I don't know how, how that—something felt lacking when I was practicing. That being said, I, you know, I miss some aspects of it as well, so— When was the seed planted in your mind that you wanted to start a farm? Just a few years before I made the major transition, I had started growing. I always—my favorite job throughout my life was working grounds crew when I was in college. Planting, growing, I absolutely love it. I never really thought of it as a profession, which now I absolutely do, is another kind of shift in perspective that I've had, the true value of farming. but. It was more when I was practicing law and I was becoming successful, but I really wasn't well. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was stressed all the time. I had a vision of like the separate life and it had flowers and it was more, it was very visual. It was just, you know, I was driving around in a pickup truck and I basically just decided to go for that vision. That sounds very simple. I'm imagining that it wasn't, but... You're nodding like maybe it was. It's both very simple, and it was extremely stressful. I got shingles. I leaving walking away from something that you work. It's very difficult to yeah. create a career. And, you know, I had a corner office. I had just made partner. I, you know, it, it was walking away from an idea of success. So it was just kind of letting go. It's very difficult to let go of all yeah. of that. 
And it wasn't a quick thing either, like all of this big transition, even though I said, you know, oh, I'm going to be a farmer. Like, I didn't even really know what that was until maybe, you know, this year, I feel like we are really farming and it's a wonderful thing and we're, you know, supporting ourselves. But it took a long time. So how long have you now been farming? About four years. Four years. Okay. So I would love to hear about what that transition was away from the stress and the burnout. And then suddenly you presumably have some land and you have a pickup truck maybe. And <laughs> you're doing it. What and was a that? big dog. A big and, dog. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was that kind of settling down into something else like for you initially? Well, it's all mixed up because I had um, – I was trying to get pregnant for a long time and wasn't able to. And uh, then I left being a lawyer and I felt really unmoored for a while. But what kept me feeling like I was making the right decision was that, you know, I had this vision that I could still work towards. I was just – I was going on a different path. So I had this other path I was working on and it was – farming and we bought this great piece of land. We had done enough growing that we knew some basics, you know. Some growing in some your growing home basics away like from the, yes, the farm yes. beforehand. We had a property that had a large garden. We had been growing there and so we knew some things. We had read a lot of books. And one thing about farming is that it's been agriculture has been practiced fairly poorly over the history of the human race. And so there's a lot of, you know, new farmers that are doing things in new ways. And you don't necessarily have to have this long tradition of farming in your blood because we have to, you know, radically change the way we're doing it. So in some ways, it felt really great to be part of that kind of new revolution. It's not necessarily new. This has been going on for decades in some circles, but it's something that you can pick up. And although it's quite complex and intellectually challenging, it's, you know, anybody can grapple with it, get in the dirt and start growing. So I, I had something that I was incredibly passionate and excited about to focus on while going through that kind of letting go of these structures I had built around, you know, who I was as a person. What did that look like day to day for you? Just getting up and getting my shovel or my loppers or my, you know, whatever new farming tool <laughs> I had found. You know, I'm doing it with my husband, Chris, we're really doing the farm together, which is also a wonderful part of the transition going from something. The practice of law really felt like I was doing it on my own. And this, I'm really, you know, doing it as part of with my family. And, you know, we would just kind of make these long lists of what we wanted to do, you know, sky's the limit. And then, you know, what we could get done, what were the highest priorities and uh, just getting out there and working in the dirt and in nature, which just really feels good every day. Have you noticed that it has changed parts of your way of processing things or your way of seeing things at all? Yes and no. Like almost more surprising is I have very similar like processes of my day. Like I still, to be productive, I still do the hardest things first and then I do the easiest, the things that I want to do later in the afternoon when I have less energy. The biggest change I think is I'm a motivated person, you know, I like to get, I like to try and do a lot. But when I was a practicing attorney, really my biggest motivators on a day-to-day -day basis were anxiety and fear. Mm. And so 
you know, my motivation was just to try and get through this really stressful, anxious thing that I had that day and then be done with it so that I could do the next thing. And then now I I wake up at four in the morning and sometimes get up because I'm so inspired and excited about what we're doing that day. And I want to, wow. I have so many things on my plate that, you know, to try and farming is a lot of work and I just want to be able to get all of those things done. It's a real motivator, and it just feels so much better to be motivated by inspiration than by fear. That is an incredible, an incredible way to put it. It, yeah, go and ahead. it's not all like I, that. Yeah. Sound that maybe sound that's really over, that's somewhat oversimplified. It's true, but it's you know I I still have stress and there's still challenges. Yes. Yeah. I can imagine there is. And I'm curious about like all the different details of farming Mm -hmm. and what the actual details day to day are of what it means to be a farmer. Yes. And at the same time, the fact that you have chosen something that at least from the ground, no pun intended, the ground up is something that has started from a place of inspiration and a vision in your head even feels like it would be a bit of a North Star every day. Yeah. In a different way than anxiety or fear would be, which sounds quite liberating. It, You know, like one of the questions that you guys had kind of forwarded me when we were thinking about this conversation was, you know, why farming? And it's a really difficult question. And I certainly don't speak for all farmers because one thing is all farms are totally different from each other. You know, you not you grow different things. They're set up differently. They have different priorities. They really can be totally different things. But um, farming and just just being in nature in, in general, I feel like it gives me this like sense of being part of a greater whole. Like I'm just this animal being in this place that I'm part of. And that's so much security somehow that it's like above and beyond what the connection to, you know, just your day-to-day life and getting somewhere on time and all the stress of work and everything. It's we're all just part of this greater whole, which it's it's comforting. Yeah, it sounds like it it actually positions you in a place that again sounds like it has more roots mm-hmm. and has some ambition beyond maybe even the ego to be yeah. able to be in touch with the earth is a really different really different thing mm-hmm. as a human being. And, you know, just the, the language you're using, yeah. the roots, the language we use to talk about these kind of deeper things, you know, that are calming and comforting. A lot of them are nature-based because mm-hmm. it's true. We're, you know, so connected with nature and and we're often so disconnected from nature. I know I lived in Pioneer Square and, you know, worked at a law firm and the little plant in my office really gave me a lot of peace. And it just those little things can really bring a lot of peace. I'm staring at these flowers that I have here, and I just, you know, the patterns in nature, even though there's wildness to it, there's there's structure, there's pattern, there's, you know, a comfort in in the order of it. So Lisa's brought this gorgeous bouquet that is sitting between us right now. It is full of oranges and pinks and greens. And I don't know what any of those flowers are. And I'd love for you to tell us about them, maybe a little bit about the process of growing them and and what they mean to you. I would love to because <laughs> it's my clear obsession these days. <laughs> so this bouquet, it's, you know, it's late spring, which is kind of a difficult time for flowers. But 
Washington really is one of the few places in the world that can grow flowers really well. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, we import 80% of the flowers into this country and only 20% are grown in the U.S. So there's a real need for local flower growers and having, and a shout out to all the farmers out there, you know, flowers really add to your farm, not just financially, but also they bring pollinators, they bring beauty. So these are Iceland poppies, these kind of really delicate ones. And those are like this sort of they almost look cantaloupe colored. To me. Yes, there's, you know, I saved the seed from some of my favorite colors last year and now I've got this, you know, really kind of blushy peachy mix of them. I love those. And then, you know, wild carrot flowers usually are in white, you know, Which they look ones like are the wild carrot. They look like a Queen Anne's lace oh, is yeah. also a relative, right? Some varieties you can buy through seed have darker shades like burgundies and pinks and everything. And the structure of those are just really cool. This is a scabiosa seed pod. So it just looks like a star globe. You know, there's just these wild shapes. And each one is like, you know, a beautiful piece of art that you can kind of lose yourself in. And and a lot of, um, you know, scientific studies have come out recently about flowers reduce stress, improve happiness. They improve workplace creativity. Let's see, I have, I I printed out all these studies because I'm like, I keep saying all this stuff, but. I know, I um, wanna know all about it. Let's see, a long-term positive effect in mood, especially in seniors. Um, They increase your social connection, your willingness to engage in social connections. Do you know why that is? So, that is a great question. And I, <laughs> so just this is totally anecdotal. This is me talking to other flower growers and, and thinking about some of these topics. And there might be, you know, the definitive word out there, but I don't know it. But, you know, flowers have been designed by nature to attract animals. Like they need pollinators. That's what they're there for. They're, they're designed to make us happy and want us to come near them. And the studies show that you feel it when you're near flowers, right? So I think it's just designed. Mm-hmm. It's like so deep in us that, you know, we're seeing part of our history and how we've evolved. They're gorgeous. And I have to admit that I'm a little bit tearful right now. I don't know if you can <laughs> tell. But I think like looking at these flowers and being able to slow down within but admittedly for me this morning has been a very stressful morning to look at the flowers and to talk so specifically about them and to just be staring at them. Even as I listen to you, there's something that is very calming, exactly like you're saying. And it also connects me to different times in my life where I've been able to be more in the moment and more connected to nature for longer periods of time and makes me remember the impact of that on my soul and my brain and my spirit and those have been very powerful times. Yes. I don't think, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to be a flower farmer, although I think that is a potential. I want to be. <laughs> yes, because small-scale agriculture is really the way that we're going to, you know, improve the planet. That's what the UN says. Um, <laughs> because we just need, you know, flowers and food are really hard to transport. They're, you know, they they need refrigeration, they need packaging and all this stuff. And if we just kind of get to know the little farms around us and we support them because they're not doing well and there's less and less of them, then, you know, there's more local food. It doesn't 
this poor, you know, this turnip bunch that we have here too. Like I had to put in a plastic bag and a cooler all the way here and I drove it out, you know. She drove from one of the islands today, exactly. right? Yeah. From Vashon, yep. So you can, you know, you can just, if you go to a local farm on the farmer's market, you know, you could just pick up this and eat it. And you don't it doesn't, need the it doesn't need the plastic bag. It doesn't need the, all the refrigeration for weeks on end, which a lot of our food does. Mm-hmm. So small farms, it's the way to go. And and we have so few. That's another perspective that I have now. I thought, oh, there's just a whole, like, there's people living in cities. But most, there's just all these farms all over, you know. There's smaller and smaller pockets of farms and less and less local agriculture, even though we need more and more of it for our own food security, for our own just individual connections. You know, if you're not a farmer, just being able to go someplace where there's fresh food, the berry pick in the summer with your kids or something like that, all those things that we remember doing, kind of, I remember doing that as a kid, you know, those opportunities, there's hard, you know, there's less and less. Mm -hmm. So we really need to support them in order for them to continue Well said. One of the things that comes up often on our podcast Mm -hmm. and particularly in our work with clients that are needing higher level of care with eating disorders is we try to de-emphasize the significance of just like slow food and whole foods and clean eating because it can become such a disordered obsession um, to not be able to eat a pack of Oreos alongside your turnips because that can be so important to, again, emphasize like, hey, you know, it it won't kill you to have Doritos. It won't kill you to have these things. Given that, there's also something that's really refreshing to be able to hear about some of the psychological benefits today and the sort of spiritual benefits of this relationship to food that you have being a farmer, because it does bring something different. We've talked before about how certain processed foods, again, like the Oreo, you might have some like childhood connection to them. And that in and of itself can be such a life-giving thing to eat a food and go, oh, this reminds me of like coming home from school and dipping these in milk. In the same way that I hear you talk about the turnips and be like, I pulled this from the ground and now I can just bite out of it and eat it on my walk back to the house. I'm like, that, it's just so cool to get to be connected in that way. And it, it feels like Actually, last night I was um, – I had bought some strawberries at PCC, the local – I guess it's like a co-op in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I had some amazing strawberries a couple of days ago. So good that they were like bleeding all over me and I walked back to the store a couple of days later and I was like, I need to buy like four more pints. And so <laughs> I like hold all of them yesterday um, instead of just buying frozen berries, which I often keep in the freezer. I hold them all myself and then – put them in last night. And though it took 20 minutes, there was something so distinctively different about what those 20 minutes offered me, where I was covered in juice and like kind of dealing with all the different bits and cleaning process and everything. And the flavor. Yes. And, you know, I I can't remember the the guy who said it, but this New York restaurant tours was saying, you know, it's not the true delicacies are not necessarily the hot cuisine of the time or whatever. It's, you know, pulling a fresh carrot from the ground that you grew and snapping it. You know, there's just something and and almost everybody can get, you know, a pot and grow a little bit of basil. Like herbs are really friendly for I, you know, I killed many plants in my day <laughs> as a lawyer, you know, in home. It's not you don't have to be a great 
grower to have this experience of like caring for a plant and then eating it. And I think there's also a huge amount of pressure on consumers to, you know, I buy frozen pizzas. You know, I still, yeah. the, the convenience is there. And I don't want to necessarily, I know it's not great for the environment, but, you know, there's all this pressure to like, you know, know where it came from and who and are you buying the right thing or not. But you can almost simplify it more by just, you know, making it part of your world to go to the farmer's market occasionally or find a, where is the farm that's closest to you and go to that farm stand. And if it's just kind of part of your routine, it really it reduces the amount of stress that you have to feel about picking the right things or eating the right things at the right time or eating seasonally. Like the only thing that's at that farmer's market is seasonal produce, you know, seasonal local produce. I feel like it it's a shortcut. We've made it out to be almost too much pressure to like mm. eat right, the right stuff at the, you know, but it's like just go by you, near you. That's one of our farm yeah. philosophies is to try and sell what we grow as close to where we grow it as possible, which it's amazing. Like it's that seems so simple, but it's like so many farms aren't doing that. They're like boxing and shipping yes, their and, produce. And right. you know, and that's just adding to the packaging and to the wrong that we've kind of committed around food. Yeah. So for those that might not have access to local foods and might be in a food desert of some kind or financially, it can be so hard. For the day-to-day person, how would you suggest that they get a little bit of the kind of spiritual nurturing that we've talked about today, even if it's not through buying the food even or growing it themselves? Well, growing, I'm still going to say growing it themselves. If they can get a pot, you know, and growing some herbs or something, you know, it really makes a difference. That is a great direct way to do it. But there are a lot, you know, there's a lot of support around local food right now. I volunteer with our local growers association and we raise money to give market buck or food coupons so that people that have barriers to eating healthy food can, you know, go to the farmer's market or go to a farm stand with money. And, you know, the WIC program, you you can use your EBT to double, you can get double the amount at any, almost any farmer's market in Washington state now will double your its food stamp or the SNAP benefits so that you can buy local food. So there are resources out there. I know sometimes those resources are more trouble than they're worth. So I'm not I'm not saying it's an ideal solution, but there are ways to try and get your hands on local produce. And I know that a lot of the farmers that I know, I mean, I really want to reduce food barriers. You know, I want the food that we grow to be food for all. And we're working with the food bank. When so so we could grow we can sell all of our produce at retail and we don't have enough of it. Like that that's what small farms in King County, you know, they really we just need to grow more. We don't have the labor. But the food bank, you know, has to buy, they can buy really cheap produce shipped in from other places. And so they just got a grant to buy food from local farms like us, you know, at at a discount from us. So we're meeting in the middle so that we can get more of our food to the local food bank so it can get to local families. So people are working on these ideas. It's just, it's, you know, it's hard. And it's hard because another issue is, you know, land ownership, again, the wealthy, are owning the land, which is, you know, really important in order to produce food. So there's a lot of tricky issues involved as well with farming these days, but Mm. there's maybe too many to get into, (laughs) the off track. But I mean, that's a really important topic is how do we get the food to the people? Yes. 
Do you, you guys want to try? try one of these turnips? So these are hikerai salad turnips. Um, hikerai salad turnips? Yes. Okay. So they're great fresh. You can also stir fry them. I definitely recommend this as a food for kids. Okay. Like they're yummy. They're not spicy like radishes as much. There's a little bit of that. But you can smell a little yeah, spice. Yeah. My two, two and a half year old walks around the farmer's market eating these. So. Okay. I can't right. wait. They're so good. <laughs> right? They're kind mm-hmm. of sweet. And they got a lot of, mm-hmm. like, water. They're really good on a hot day because they, they have that moisture. Mm. I actually so. love how spicy they are. But they're sweet. Yeah, yeah they have a little bit. Mm-hmm. Of a, these are the first ones we picked, pulled out of a new bed. But Oh. And we have, the tur- we have the turnips, of course, attached to the turnip greens as they grow normally. Yeah. What, do, what do you typically do with turnip greens? We usually saute them in just a little bit of garlic. Oh, that's one thing I do want to say about my eating has changed. In the biggest transition is I really used to, like, come up with my recipe. Then I would go to the store and buy the stuff. And now I'm just kind of like, what What do I have <laughs> sitting in my fridge that, you know, we harvested that I need to eat? And I just, like, usually saute it with garlic. And then that's what I eat. I love the simplicity of that. <laughs> I'm talking with my mouth full. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing this with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna finish chewing. Yeah, and then hear from you, Lexi. Those are amazingly spicy. I know they're so good. They're At like first really you guys spicy. Said spice, now. and I said they're what? Not, and I then mean, yeah, and then it, they... they're spicier than I thought they would be. So that's great. You know, there's variation. They have like a little bit of um, that initial spice that a radish has, but then yeah. it mellows out and it's sweet. But as I'm getting closer to the root, it's getting spicier. Spicier. Okay. That's good. Did not think I'd be able to get into that, but it's good. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a comfort food girl. <laughs> Veggies, what? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. So Hi. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to um come in and share some reflections about how I've experienced Lisa's changes over the the last many years. We've been friends since 97, we figured out. And, um, you know, I, I want to speak to the, the power I think that you've had on those around you based on the change you made in your life. And we, we saw you in the stress of all of that. We were aware of what you were going through and then to see you make this big change and into your life and then to sit and listen to you on the podcast talking about the details of the flowers in such a inspired excited way it's really really neat to watch and it does something to me and maybe to our listeners too just this like what what could I connect to in my life what am I missing that I'm not living into what what would be scary to change but would would offer me some vitality some connection that I wouldn't otherwise experience so I just want to say thank you for offering that to our community and also to our listeners I I appreciate you saying that that's you know I have learned a lot from this podcast (laughs) listening to it and so that uh I sounds great that if I could do a little back but yeah yeah, because so I just don't. I, I if we don't see people in our actual worlds who are making changes, it's almost like it doesn't feel. It's not an option, or it's not possible. And it's mm-hmm. when you witness people doing what didn't seem like even an option that you feel like doors open. 
mm-hmm. that wouldn't otherwise. I think that's one of the um, impacts of being so burnt out too, or having a a job that includes that much stress is that your your world gets narrower and narrower and your mind maybe gets narrower and narrower as you're so burnt out. Yes. To be able to notice the slight spark in you that says, oh, if only I was dealing with flowers and driving around in a pickup truck, it's it seems like a window into a path out or a world outside of the the day-to-day burnout. And I think I've I've been through changes like that in my life too, where I've been really depressed or really burnt out, and and that slight glimmer has been mm-hmm. the thing that I have been able to hold on to and go, okay, there's some part of me that's still kicking here, <laughs> so like let me follow that and trust that maybe it will give some more life back to me and I'll be more in touch with who I want to be and feel most comfortable being, yeah. comfortable in a non-challenging way, but it fits better in a way. Trusting that. I think that's a really good I don't I don't I'm not sure that I trusted it when I like dove off the really deep end, but but I I must have, you know, and that I think that's really important for people to trust what is inspiring them as, you know, a way forward in life. Yeah. And I I think I've said this before because I'm such a believer in it, but everybody gets so excited about different things. Yeah. And so the fact that you got excited about a pickup truck and flowers Mm -hmm. is maybe not what I would get excited about or what Lexi would get excited about. Mm -hmm. I happen to have a lot of overlap with it in terms (laughs) of the inspiration. But, But, you know, if someone gets excited about astronomy or if somebody gets excited about, you know, nose diving into criminal justice, I don't know. Okay. Yes. Like, follow that. That's something really specific to you. And I know I when I started as an attorney, I remember I would do these classes that I would do, and I would tell people, you know, you want to work with people who like what they do. It just – it's more pleasurable for everybody, and they are a better teacher of it. And, you know, I just stopped really being passionate about what I did because I was so burnt out. And so you're not doing as good of work as you could be doing if you're not following that inspiration. Yeah. Permission to follow mm-hmm. your longings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much thank for you. for being with us and for bringing parts of your farm to the table today too. It's really cool to be able to have greenery and food and flowers <laughs> on the table between us and um, to be able to get sort of a window into your world. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who wants to come out to Vashon, we're at Forest Garden Farm on Vashon Island. I'll have to come. Yeah, you'll have to. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Mm -hmm. You will find some information about Forest Garden Farms in the show notes on your podcast app, so you can learn more about that there. And if you want to learn more about Opal generally, you can find us at opalfoodandbody.com to learn more about programming, etc. And if you want to follow along uh, with the podcast, first of all, make sure you subscribe so you know when our next episodes are out. We release weekly, and you don't want to miss one. Thank you so much to Jack Stroll Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Bye.